we would be still, we'd be quiet enough to see that this is an amazing moment to be able to come into your presence, Lord, that you are alive. The greatest day in history was when you rose again, Lord, and you're still alive today. We don't worship a dead God. God, we would just rejoice and take heart in the fact that you are alive and you're with us and you're in this room right now, God, that you have overcome whatever sin, whatever trial, whatever temptation we face. Lord, there's victory in you because of the cross. So help us not to walk in fear or to walk in shame or condemnation, Lord, because we know there is freedom in the name of Jesus. There is hope in the name of Jesus. So God, I pray that we would right now just kind of clear a little space around us, Lord, to meet with you, not to exclude those around us, God, but that we would get serious and intentional about meeting with you tonight and hearing from you. God, I pray you would open our eyes to what you have for us in your word, Lord, and that our, our lives would just be submitted to you. God, we love you and we trust that you will speak to us. It's in your wonderful, powerful name that we pray. Amen. Now go ahead and grab a seat. Thank y'all so much for worshiping with us. Here at South Crest, whether you, whether you just come on Thursdays or come Thursdays and Sundays, all that kind of good stuff, we unapologetically, wholeheartedly believe that the only way for a person to be saved, to know Jesus Christ, is by gra- or, yeah, to know God, is to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's, that's what it is. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Y'all with me? Do we believe that? Yes, we do. Yes is the right answer. Absolutely, we believe that. Now, that does not mean that there are no expectations that God gives us as his followers. There are absolutely certain things that God expects us to do as believers, as followers of Christ. And so just because we have a love relationship with God through Jesus Christ does not mean there aren't certain rules and expectations. This not, doesn't necessitate that those just aren't in existence. My wife and I, man, we're so excited. I keep talking about it. You're probably tired of hearing me talking about it. In March, we're having some little babies, right? Super pumped. You guys, that's cool. You're excited too. <laughs> um, and we, we already love them, but you better believe as much as we love them and it will be a relationship, there will be expectations, right? And rules. I mean, from the second they're born. I'm kidding. <laughs> but like really, they're, they're going to be expectations and rules, not just because we're some mean, old-fashioned parents from the South. No, because we want them to flourish, right? It, rules aren't all, and expectations, and even commands aren't always um, just like, because someone's trying to be mean. They can be for our good. And that is absolutely the case with God's Word and what He tells us to do. Every command God gives us is for His glory, but you need to realize it's also for our good. For our flourishing. This is not health and wealth, but the reality is because God created us in the world we live in, He knows what is best for us. So when He tells us to live a certain way, it's because He cares about us and He wants to see us flourish and He wants to be glorified Himself. So tonight, we're going to look at three different expectations that God has on us as His followers. And as we go, that'll be really the main focus. Three, and these are not the only expectations, but three expectations 
that God has on us as his followers. And then as we go, we're going to kind of look at how that intersects, how that collides with with our culture, and even as we've been going through the smartphone thing, how that collides with the way our phones are changing us and the way we tend to use our phones. So the first thing I want us to see, and I hope you're taking notes, I want to encourage you, I want to go on a little rant here, but um, it is, it's very common in Bible Belt culture, which we're in that, to just like kind of sit back and chill during the sermon. And I want to encourage you to be engaged, and uh, I'm not like keeping tabs of who's taking notes, but even if you take them on your phone, that's cool. I want to encourage you to, to be engaged and, and take notes. So the first thing we're going to talk about, and these are not the only three, but the first thing we're going to talk about of what God expects of us is that God calls us to communicate life-giving words. God calls us to communicate life-giving words. So he, he expects us, he calls us to communicate in a way that is helpful and not hurtful. I want you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in a couple of different places tonight. But if you've got your Bible, if you're going to look on your phone, that's cool too. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Sorry, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Hello? There it is. That's weird. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to start reading in verse 29. It says, Let no corrupting talk Come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Again, for building up. (laughs) As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building others up. And I love this idea of corrupting here. It's in the Greek, it comes from the root word is, uh, was used to refer to rotten or spoiled food. It was, it was corrupt. It was rotten. It, was, it had become disgusting. And rotten so much, uh, uh, yeah, corrupt so much that it could actually be, in a sense, infectious to the other food it was around. Like, it was harmful. And so the corrupt in this sense is in a moral sense of evil, bad, unwholesome. Let no evil, bad, unwholesome, corrupt, infectious talk come out of your mouth. Just chew on that for a second. The words you speak can actually corrupt, bring infection to other people. Even if it's not like you're talking bad about them, you're just talking in an unwholesome, unhealthy, evil, sinful way, it can actually bring that corruption to their life. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that is good for building up others. Man, so cool. This, is, this idea of speaking and building up others rather than tearing them down is a common theme in Scripture. We're going to look at a couple other verses if you guys will put up. Um, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. Got that slow fade going. <laughs> there it is. Oh, how does, psych, <laughs> how does read it? It's, it's no big deal. Proverbs twelve eighteen. There is one, there it is. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Man, I, I love uh, Proverbs so picturesque. So rash, thoughtless, careless words. When someone just speaks like that, it's like hanging out with somebody and they're just slinging around a sword. Like, don't hang out with people like that. That's a bad idea, right? There's one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. God calls us in Scripture to not be fools, but to be wise. And he says the wise person, the person God wants us to be, is someone 
who brings healing with their words rather than like cutting people up with a sword. Let's also look at Proverbs chapter 16, 24. Real quick, we've got that as well. It says, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Gracious, uh, meaning like pleasant, beautiful, good words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul. You know what I'm saying? Pleasant, good, wholesome, healthy, building up words are like soul food. You know what soul food is? You'll say, mm-hmm, like, like Thanksgiving, like, no matter where you're from, well, speaking like in the context of America, I guess, but um, whether you're from the north, south, east, west, Thanksgiving food is soul food. You know what I'm saying? Unless your family is like going super green and kind of ruining Thanksgiving for you. Like, um, Thanksgiving is soul food. Like I was saying, like tonight, like pecan pie and pumpkin pie, that's soul food, right? Like it's just, you eat it, even if you're having a bad day, after you eat it, you're like, I feel a little bit better right now, right? Because it's soul food. He says, good words, gracious words, they're like soul food. And in that time, when this was written, honey was understood to have um, medicinal uh, properties and purposes. And so they really believed that honey could actually help bring healing to you. So the idea here is, he's saying quite literally, when you speak gracious, kind, beautiful words to people, it can actually help bring health to their body. And I 100% believe that. When you're around people that are always discouraging you, and talking down or just like being sarcastic, I think it can lead to you like literally physically feeling kind of down. Y'all agree with that? But when people speak life into you, man, it builds you up. It's like soul food. I want to look at one other passage real quick. Uh, this is 1 Peter 2.1. So we've kind of looked at some positives. Here's maybe a little bit in a negative sense. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, I want you to hear this, the way um, Tim Keller and David Pallison define this. They say, slander is not necessarily a false report, just an against report. God, through Peter, says, put slander away. So it's not just that, like, you're, he's saying, make sure you don't tell lies on people. He's saying, no, don't speak against someone. So the idea here. Through all of this, you can take that off. Appreciate it, guys. Hey, by the way, can we just tell our media team, like, thank you for all they do? Man, they kill it. Really do. So you can be, in your conversation, you can be someone who, as you're talking with people, whether you're intentionally doing it or not, you can choose to use, pretty intimidating, this knife right <laughs> You can... You can choose to, to speak hurtful, unkind, ungodly, against words. And as you're doing that, it's like you're just kind of cutting people as you're talking. Even if you're not like specifically like talking bad about them, if you're just saying hurtful, negative, distasteful things, you're, you're hurting them. Scripture teaches us that when you choose to speak life-giving words, which is what God calls us to, should have called somebody up here, but whatever. <laughs> it's like you take advantage and you're, and you're helping heal their wounds. And maybe it's something they know they're struggling with, and so instead of like just choosing to ignore, like, whatever, like, why are they crying? You, like, choose to speak life-giving words. It's like you taking a bandage and saying, hey, let me help you with that. Let me encourage you a little bit. And sometimes, I really believe this, 
When you choose to speak life-giving words, whether you realize the person is hurting or not, Ryan and I were talking about this earlier, so often, just when you're like talking about Jesus and being encouraging, without them, without you even realizing it, you could actually be healing some of their wounds and encouraging them in places they didn't even know they needed it. Here's what I want to ask you. Which, which kind of person are you? You like cutting people up with your words? Are you life-giving? This is something we've got to consider like in every aspect of our life, lives. But I think an area that I, we're really prone to be this kind of person, the knife person, is with our phones. Again, we need to consider what we're talking about with like communicating life-giving words. We need to think about that in every aspect of our life. But I think the reality is, um, I don't want to word this. Yeah, the reality is that we need to be mindful, uh, or yeah, sorry, admit tonight that our phones tend to enhance our ability to communicate death-inducing words. <laughs> so again, I think we already have, because we're sinful, we already have that tendency, and our phones tend to enhance that ability to communicate death-inducing words. I want to give you three reasons, I guess you could say why I think that is, or kind of how that plays out. Here's the first. So reasons um, that we tend with our phones to communicate death-producing words. Here's this, the first one. The things we take in, so see and listen to and watch on our phones, the things we take in are harsh, so it becomes our norm to speak harshly. Have you noticed, and uh, this last, we're not going to talk, talk about po- uh, politics, but the last election cycle, like, it seemed that no one knew how to talk politely, right? And it kind of still seems that way, that no one knows how to say a kind word. Or even, like, I, I love ESPN. I really do, like, I, I'm always, like, like, every time I take a break from something, I'm like, I'm just going to check on my Cavaliers real quick, right? My, my Seminoles see how bad they are this year. Um, Jaguar is actually pretty good, by the way. Just saying, guys. Um, but even like on ESPN, the, the, on some of the shows like Stephen A. Smith and Max, is it Kellerman? Is that his name? And they just like yell at each other. Max, you're an idiot. I should disagree with you. And, and they're just kind of having fun because it's harsh. I can start speaking like that in a harsh manner without even realizing it. And let's not even talk about social media, right? Are people ever harsh on social media? Y'all reckon, right? Yeah, whether it's something they actually like post in their picture or whether it's a, a comment, like, oh my gosh. I'm always torn. Like, sometimes it's like, watch, you know how when you're driving past a car wreck, you just can't help but look? I feel like that's what reading comments are like, right? Like, you, you know you shouldn't look. You know you're just going to get mad, but you can't help but look. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, because the things we take in are harsh, we begin to speak harshly. Here's the second thing. It's easy to talk, oh, sorry. It's easy to talk smack behind the protection of a screen, right? That, there's a reason when people are about to get in a fight, they say, why don't you say that to my face? Because it takes guts to get in someone's face and say something, right? It's real easy behind your little phone while you're like in your PJs watching Netflix to text something really rude, right? Pastor David, he, he showed, shared this illustration one time, and I'm going to use it because I think there's not a better one. He said that one time, uh, I can't remember where they were living, somewhere in Lubbock, it was before they the house they're in now. But anyways, he was taking, he would always take out the trash to the dumpster. And every time there was this little dog behind the neighbor's fence, 
uh, in the neighbor's backyard, that every time he would take the trash out, this dog would go to this hole in the fence the whole time, just barking at him. It was a little tiny dog. But one time, he took the trash out, and after he threw the trash away, he turned around, and somehow that dog had gotten out of the fence, and it was staring at him in the alley. It was like a good old, like, shoot-off, right? And he thought, this is it. Like, the little dog is going to come after me. And you know what the dog did? It ran back inside its fence, went to that little hole, and started barking at him again. <laughs> and Pastor David said, and I completely agree, that's exactly what people do on social media. Right? When they see you face-to-face, oh, good to see you. Man, yeah, it's great. I love that outfit. But as soon as it's on Instagram, it's like, I forget you. Right? Like, we do that. It's easy to talk smack behind the protection of a screen. Here's the third way I think that we tend to speak, or the reason we tend to speak death-inducing words rather than life-giving words on our phones. We default to finding fault, especially when we only know people from a distance. So it just, there could be a period there. We default to finding fault. Absolutely, right? Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, um, the easiest work in the world is to find fault. <laughs> that's the easiest job. If you want the easiest job you could ever have, well, that wouldn't be a, a paying job probably. But the easiest job in the world would be to just find fault with people. So we default to finding fault. But it's magnified, it's amplified when there's distance between us and the people. Y'all with me? And that's what social media is, right? It's these kind of sort of friends, but they're, but they're at a distance. And that's because you, I mean, to, to add to that, like the fact that you just don't know the person, when they post something or say something, you don't know their, or even a text, let's not forget that, you don't know their tone and you don't know their circumstance, right? You ever done that? You ever read someone's text and then hopefully like you're getting to this stage in life and not like in middle school, but you read a text and then you're, when you're reading it, you're like, you're reading what they wrote and you're reading it with this really mean tone and you're like, wait a second, I don't know that was their tone. And then you read it in a regular tone and you're like, huh. Not so bad, right? God calls us to be better than what we're talking about, right? He calls us to not be like the rest of the world who just says, I'm going to sit here and find fault. God calls us to be the light of the world. He calls us to be the hope of the world. He didn't call us to be judgment givers. He called us to be life givers, that's what he calls us to do, to communicate life-giving words. So I just want to ask you, like, are you doing that? If you're a Christ follower, that's what he expects of you. This, yeah, to communicate life-giving words. The second thing we're going to look at, I think kind of is related to what we just mentioned in that it's easy to, to default to finding fault and being judgmental when there's distance between you and the person. That kind of leads to the second thing we're going to see. So here's the second thing we're going to talk about that God expects of us. God calls us to live in community. God calls us to live in community. There's no Lone Ranger Christian. He doesn't expect us. He didn't design us. He didn't create us to be loners. We're going to, if you would, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. So if you're in Ephesians, you're just going to turn to the right a little bit, not too far. If you get James, you've gone a little too far. Hebrews chapter 10. So he calls us to live in community, calls us to, to be known and to know people. 
chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Man, I love this in this verse. So we are to challenge each other, to stir one another up to love and good works. I, I remember when I was on a task with Pastor uh, Larry, David Allen came. He's a seminary professor, and he came and preached on this. And he said, literally, the, the Greek images here is to literally shake someone. Like, hey, wake up. Are you, are you living for Jesus? Are you doing the right thing? Like, let's not just walk through life comfortably and asleep, and just going with the culture of uh, the American church. Wake up. Are you living for Christ? We're called to do that to each other, to shake each other up. And he says, to encourage one another. Well, I love what he says. Look at the beginning of verse 25. Not neglecting to what? Or if you're looking at the screen, not giving up, what does it say? Meeting together. Being together. <laughs> it's interesting, in a lot of Paul's letters that he wrote to the churches in the, in the New Testament time period, he was, he was writing to them, so he's communicating. But he would tell them, I can't wait to see you face to face. There's something about face-to-face community, right? There's a reason why when Laura and I dated long distance for like four years, I was excited, even though we talked every day, I was excited to go and see her face-to-face, right? We were designed for human interaction, for face-to-face community. It says, don't give up meeting together. Let's look at this next passage um, Galatians 2, real quick, real short verse. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So again, Christ designed this. He expects us to live in community to bear one another's burdens. You weren't meant to go through life alone and carrying all your problems by yourself, but to bear, to bear each other's burdens. And the last one we're going to look at, and this is a pretty long one, um, 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 26. And that's a, a, a huge chunk, but I'm going to read it for us. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Which, if you've got a talking hand, that's just weird, okay? <laughs> that would not ma- Thank you, Kayla. <laughs> that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body either. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, just go see the doctor if that happens, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. 
If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And there's a lot going on there in that passage in that context of 1 Corinthians. But here's what hopefully you can't miss from that. We are, though we are many parts, we are a what? A body. We, not I. We were designed, we were created for community. God so designed us to live in community that when we live in community, it produces flourishing. And when we ignore our need for community, it produces failure in our lives. I 100% believe that. When you live in open, honest community as God designed you to live, your life flourishes. When you ignore your need for that and start being a, a loner, whatever that looks like, trying to do things on your own, carrying your own burdens, it leads to failure. We use this illustration a lot, but I'm going to keep using it because I think it's, it works and I want it to stick. God designed us to go down the river of life in a raft not in a single-person kayak. And when you try to live the river of life as though you're in a kayak and not like you're in a raft, bad things happen, <laughs> right? If, you go down a, if you're in a raft but acting like you're by yourself, you're probably going to get hit in the head with a paddle and fall out, right? Bad things happen. We were designed for community. But the reality is, and there's so many, multiple things we could talk about here, but for what we're talking about with this series, the reality is our phones are hindering us from having real community. By the way, could you imagine how dangerous it would be to go down like a, a real white water river and everyone in the raft be on their phones? <laughs> like, if, that, if you're in that situation, just bail, okay? <laughs> That's not going to turn out good. I don't think it's that much different, like, in how we really treat life. Like, we're going on the river of life, and, and quite literally, well, I'll just, oh, my phone, I'll just use this. <laughs> quite literally, we're, like, ignoring the rapids that we're facing and ignoring our friend who just fell out of the boat because we're on our phones. Here's a few th- reasons why I feel like that's happening, why we're, we're getting away from community and being distracted by our phones. Or maybe a, way, uh, maybe a better way to say it would be like, I think a few truths, a few things that are happening because of our phones, a few ways our phones are affecting community. Here's the first. The introvert has a seemingly safe place to hide. So I'm not knocking introverts whatsoever. But the reality is, I, I really do think phones for an introverted person, it's, it's now like a culturally accepted way to kind of hide and not be involved, to just hide behind your phone. And here's what I would tell you if that's you. You may feel better and safe for a little bit, but you can't get away from the fact that God made us for community. And eventually, your denial, your rejection of your need for community is going to lead to failure of some sort. Don't hide behind your phone. Here's the second. The extrovert is too distracted to ever really be present. What happens when, when you're with your friends and you all go to dinner? What's everybody doing? Or not, or not everybody, but generally speaking, what's everybody doing? On their phones, right? So you're there, you're talking, you're hanging out, but you're also at the Texas Tech game. <laughs> you're also talking to your parents back in Houston. You're also doing whatever. You're not really there in the moment, right? 
Or like I always actually, I feel like my friends have gotten pretty good at this, but don't you hate it if you're like, you're driving, so, well, you shouldn't be on your phone, right? <laughs> Hopefully you're not. So you're driving, you're trying to focus, and you're hoping you, this is a good time to talk with your friends, but they're all, you're in the car, you have some time to be together and share life together, but you're not all really there. Studies show, this is a fact, that even just having, let's say this is a little coffee table, and this is my phone, <laughs> even just having a phone in view, so I'm not on it, but just having a phone in view automatically decreases the level of how good and how advanced that conversation can become. So you, you're, you're putting a ceiling on how good of a conversation you're going to have just by having a phone in view. So again, this is not, we're not anti-phones, like we're not, again, I'm preaching with an iPad, okay? <laughs> I'm not anti-technology, but we want to be aware that our phones really are breaking down community and we have to have community all to thrive. Here's the third thing. And I think this is maybe the truest of them all. But listen carefully. We're never quiet enough to, to be ready to engage in community. We're never quiet enough to be ready to engage in community. So here's what that means. When in your alone time, in your quiet time, and I don't mean like spiritual quiet time, but just like downtime, if you're always distracted by your phone, you're reading things, you're looking at social media, you're watching videos, whatever it is, if you're always like your brain is always working and never has time to decompress and to process and to, to think about things, to pray about things, with, then when you go into community, you're already worn out. So just if I start my day and the first thing I do out of bed, check text messages, check social media. Okay, now I'm going to check up on, some, um, on CNN or Fox News or whatever. I'm going to check some sports stuff. I, legit, depending on what's gone on already that morning, by the time I get to be with people, I may already be stressed. Right? Like, oh man, it's a rough day. What's going on? Well, I don't know. I just check some news. I don't know. Listen to what this psychologist says, Sherry Turtle. Cool last name. <laughs> Hopefully I didn't misspell it. It's probably Tuttle. Maybe it's Turtle. I don't know. <laughs> she says, the capacity for empathic conversation goes hand in hand with the capacity for solitude. In solitude, we find ourselves. We prepare ourselves to come to conversation with something to say that is authentic. And that's good. Y'all, especially speaking as Christians, we're not going to be able to come together in true fellowship and encouragement if we're not in our own alone time, like meeting with God and being refreshed and being encouraged. Kind of the whole like, similar idea, if, like, if you're always pouring out and no one's, nothing's pouring into you, you're going to get empty, right? Got to be careful. We need community. Please don't think that you can get through this life and live the abundant life that God wants you to live being a loner or kind of half-step in community. But don't miss out on God's the gift, his, uh, gracious gift of relationships and knowing people and being known because of, of technology. <laughs> what a waste. Literally, like, what a wasted life. You miss out on community. And this, the third thing we're going to look at, so God expects us, he calls us to speak life-giving words. 
calls us to live in community. And this third thing I think really flows from and really is kind of a result of our lack of community. Well, you'll get where I'm going with that. Our struggle with it is a result of our lack of community. Here's what I mean. Here's the third thing. God calls us to live holy lives. That shouldn't be a surprise to you if, you, if you're a Christian. God calls us to live holy lives. He, he, he expects us to strive for purity, for holiness, for righteousness. We're going to look at one last passage. I want you to turn to 1 Peter with me. We've been going through 1 Peter on Sunday mornings. Man, I love it. So good. If you're in Hebrews, just turn to the right a little bit. Past James, you'll hit 1 Peter chapter 1. If you haven't been coming on Sunday mornings uh, for Pastor David's series on 1 Peter, I mean, you should definitely come check it out. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 13. Love this passage. And it's on the screen, so I'll read it from there. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at, at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And we can stop there. If, if you read on, it, 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 the kind of the further explanation of why we should live a holy life is because of the, the cost that Jesus paid to rescue us and to forgive us. He, he gave his precious blood. And at the beginning when it says, therefore, it's referring back to this salvation that we have in Jesus. That meant this incredible, the gospel that Jesus left heaven, came to earth, died the death that we deserve to forgive us. Like because, in light of that, we should live a holy life. He calls us, what does it say? To live as obedient children. Not giving into the evil desires that we had when we lived in ignorance. So before we knew Christ, but man, to live an obedient life like Jesus, to live a holy life, to be set apart. So to say, Jesus, I'm all in for you. I, I want to live for you. I want to I live a pure life. Yes, I'm going to struggle. I'm going to mess up. But I want to say no to my flesh, no to my sin. I want to live for you. I want to be all in and live a holy life. That's what he calls us. That's what he expects us to do. Bill, here's the reality. We could talk about so many issues, but I think this really is a big enough issue to just talk about this. Our phones encourage us to be comfortable in secret sins. God calls us to be holy, but way too many of us are not living a holy life because we're too comfortable with the secret, well, quote, secret sins (laughs) that we live with on our phones. Maybe it's the sin of envy. Because you're scrolling Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, you're seeing people and you're like, man, I just wish I could have what they had. Man, that would be so cool. And you, and you just keep, even though you know it's wrong, you keep feeding that. Or maybe it's like, and I've, done, I've definitely done this before, maybe it's like the endless search on uh, Safari of like whatever item you think will fulfill your soul, right? <laughs> well, so Amazon, right? And if I could just have this, you know, so you're searching for things, it's an idol, right? You're searching for things that are going to make you satisfied when really only God can satisfy you. Maybe it's the sin of being judgmental. My wife and I were talking about this because I think this is probably the one that all of us do, hands down, if you have any kind of social media. It, how easy is it to scroll through and maybe not say anything, but in your mind you're like, 
<laughs> you all with me? I, mean, I'm not, I don't think I'd have to go much further than that. I think you, you know what I'm saying. Well, that can be a secret sin. Because in your mind, you're like, well, I think we justify it by saying, well, I didn't say anything. I wasn't with anybody. But in your heart, you're being judgmental. Or you're harboring bitterness. Or you're, there's jealousy, envy, whatever it is. That's a, that's a secret sin. While God calls us to be holy. And then the one that like is probably the most destructive, pornography. What makes this time to live in so dangerous is that perhaps more than any time, whatever temptation or sin you like are struggling with or getting interested in, so to speak, there's like endless possibilities at your fingertips. Well, that's scary. And just to be clear, like pornography, we're not just saying like a pornographic site, but like you can see some pretty bad stuff on Instagram, right? Hopefully you don't know that, but like you could. So don't go look. <laughs> but like, it could, there's so many ways to look at things you shouldn't look at on your phone. God calls us to live a holy life. And here's the deal, y'all. I already hinted at this. So with our phones, it's easy to feel like, well, maybe it's not really hurting anybody. No one knows about it. Is that true? Does no one know about it? It's not true. Who knows about it? Our heavenly father, right? <laughs> he knows. He sees. He's not fooled. You can't, like, you can't put a passcode on your heart. Ha-ha, <laughs> God can't see it. No, he knows. Yeah, the fingerprint, yeah, he made you, bro. <laughs> he can see right in there. God calls us to live a holy life. Now, some of us, maybe all of us need to get a lot more serious about being careful with our phones. Maybe you need to ask for some accountability. Maybe, maybe you do need to have like someone put some restrictions on your phone. And by the way, that doesn't like, man, let me, let's pause for a second. If some bro or girl, whatever comes to you now and says, hey, I want to get serious about being careful with my life and what I put into my heart and mind and all that stuff. So would you put a passcode on my phone so I can be careful? You Don't go, you sinner. What have you been doing? No, you should go, hey, that's awesome. I should do the same. No one in this room is above any sin, me included. We cannot be too careful with this stuff. I really believe if you don't have some kind of like accountability software or, or accountability relationship when it comes to this stuff, you are asking for trouble. Like you're, you're just asking for it. Absolutely, 100% believe that. God calls us to live a holy life. As we close, I want to give you this thought. I've been uh, reading through First and Second Kings. Man, so cool reading some of the stories. Actually, kind of terrifying some of the stories. Um, but it's interesting. Some of the some of the kings of First and Second Kings. So the kings. These are the kings of Israel and Judah, s- supposed to be God's people. And some of these kings were just flat out, undeniably evil. Like so, in our day to day, we were like, man, times have never been worse. Like when I read First and Second Kings, I don't know. Like it was pretty bad. Like legit, it was really bad. I'm not going to repeat some of the things that happened, at least from the stage right now. So you had some really evil kings who clearly wanted nothing to do with God. And then you had some kings who says they, I love this. I hope that this can be said to me one day when I die. Like the summary of their life in a lot of places in First and Second Kings, for some of the kings, the summary of their life was, and they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And I hope, I hope that can be said to me. Like you can't really make that determination until like a person dies, like 
They did that to the end. I hope that can be said to me one day. I did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But for so many of these kings, here's what was sad. It would say that, and then it would say, except he, whoever it was, never took down the high places. You may say, what what in the world is a high place? High places in the Old Testament were at their very best places or sites of worship to God that were wrong, they were sinful because they had pagan roots. They had the wrong influences. So it was, it was kind of weird for us to think about they're worshiping God in the wrong way. Or it was, it was a pagan influence. God had told them, wipe those out. I don't want, you're not going to worship me from a high place. At their worst, there were places of worship for false gods, for idols. They would even do, perform child sacrifice to false gods. That's what these high places were for. So they would say, and this king was a great king, except he didn't take down the high places. And God had expected the kings to get rid of those. So you can imagine if you walked out, let's say this is uh, the king's crib, right? And this is his uh, patio on the back patio. You walk out with the king and you look out at his, if you could look out at his life or at the kingdom, you would say, man, you, you've been a great king. Like you've done so many things and look at him and the people are thriving and you kind of turn them back to God. But then you might look over that hill and you would say, but what is that? Is that a high place? Bro, why didn't, you get, why didn't you take care of that high place? Why is that still there? Like you did what was right with God, you tried to follow God, but why did you let that one little area like just remain in your life? What if God tonight showed up at your crib <laughs> and walked out on the patio I looked at the landscape of your life. Would he look around, would he look at you and say, I'm proud of you, you've done what was right in my eyes. You've, you've, you've pretty much been all in. But Brandon, what, what's that over there? Why is that still in your life? Why didn't you remove that? God's call for us is to live a holy life. And y'all, we got to get serious about this. I want us to be a group that is not just, yeah, I'm kind of a cultural Christian. I want us to be all in. And part of being all in means even with our phones saying, God, I'm not going to have any secret sins. I'm going to give this to you. Part of being all in is choosing to speak life-giving words, communicate life-giving words, and, and to live in community I think maybe the biggest area we struggle with is choosing to say, God, I'm going to be all in and that I'm not going to have any secret sins. I'm going to do my best to say it's all yours. I don't want anyone in this room, when you pass away, I don't want the summary of your life to be, they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, except, and I hope that we'll wholeheartedly pursue him. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the, the band to come on up. If you guys would, I want you to go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. Just not because we're doing anything weird, but I just want you to be able to think and focus for a second. We're going to do something a little different than normal. We're, we're going to sing two songs here. We've got plenty of time. It's a miracle I actually didn't go over this time. <laughs> Too bad anyways. 
Here's what we're going to do. For this first song, I really am going to ask you, not because I don't want you to worship, I'm going to ask you to not sing. Not because we're going to entertain you. That would be the furthest thing we want to do. But because I want you to think and I want you to listen and be still before God. I tried that today for the first time in a long time, just like being still before God, and he actually spoke. It was the craziest thing ever. (laughs) It's like he actually loves me and wants to talk to me. So what I want us to do for this first song, I want you to just to be still and to listen. Now, part of being still could totally be coming down to this front. We're just going to pretend like it's an altar. It could totally be coming down to the front and just letting kneeling before God be the posture of your heart. Let it kind of reflect the posture of your heart that, God, I want to be all in and I want to listen to you. So maybe in this song, you start realizing there's some things you need to repent of. Maybe you start realizing, man, I've been... In the things I tweet, the things I text, the things I say, I've been not communicating life-giving words, and I want to do that. So maybe you want to repent that and lay that before God. Or maybe you realize, I've been kind of doing a loner thing. I need to get real about living in community. Or maybe you need to, to in your chair or down here, say, God, I want to be all in and hold anything back from you. As we're singing this first song, or actually, as we're reflecting during this first song, I'm going to be standing right down front. Maybe you just want to come and say, hey, would you just pray for me? You don't have to tell me what it is. I'm not going to assume you've been doing anything super weird or anything. I'll just pray for you. I'd love to encourage you. Listen, reflect, pray, and then we'll sing a song after that. I would love for you to join us then during this time. I want you to just kind of be still before God. And if at the very least, you can listen to the words and let them challenge you. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll and then we'll be still before God. God, thanks for being so gracious, and Lord, uh, man, all of us have failed in these areas of expectation. But how cool it is to know that you are good and gracious and kind, and loving, forgiving God. So we don't have to hide from you. We don't have to worry about you getting mad at us. God, you already know our hearts. I pray that we would come to you knowing you have open arms, that we would be all in. Lord, speak to us right now, we pray.